Today, I talk to Dr. Joanna Pagonis. Joanna's goal is to transform workplaces that have a climate of command and control to one of possibility. We talk to Joanna today about her book, Choose to Be a Leader Others Would Want to Follow. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast then is to interview authors of new business books, get insights into their thinking, lives, and businesses all in a light-friendly manner. This show is sponsored by Ideastorm, focusing on exponential innovation and leadership. Visit www.ideastorm.co.za to book a free strategy session. Today, our guest is Dr. Joanna Pagonis. Joanna's goal is to transform workplaces that have a climate of command and control to one of possibility. She's the owner of Sinogap Solutions Leadership Consulting, which is a vision to transform managers and employees into confident and capable leaders that achieve excellence and are a source of strategic value in the organization. She also has a podcast called Tackle Tuesday. The reason we're speaking to her today is about her book, Choose to Be a Leader Others Would Want to Follow. And Joanna's goal for this book is that people, especially leaders in top ranks, will be motivated to create that workplace environment where managers are supported and encouraged to embrace their vulnerability and develop their emotional intelligence. So welcome to the podcast, Joanna. Thank you so much, Lance. Um, Joanna, where am I speaking to you from today? Or maybe not today, but but normally. Right. Um, I, I... Typically live, I live in uh, Alberta in a, in a little bedroom community called Sherwood Park, but right now I'm vacationing in the in British Columbia in the Rocky Mountains. Now, I've started to use this question and maybe my listeners get bored with it, I'm not sure, but I get to know you type of question. And if I ever come get onto a plane, which seems unlikely during COVID, right. and I come and visit you, what would you take me to see? What tourist attractions or, or something that you would take me for the afternoon or the day around where you live? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would say we'd need to get into the car and drive uh, several hours so I could take you to the Rocky Mountains because it's, it's mm. world- and they're majestic and they're absolutely beautiful. And when I first I'm not originally from Alberta, I'm from a, uh, a province called Quebec in a, in a town called Montreal. And I moved here about 16 years ago to Alberta. And uh, one of the first things that we did was go see the Rockies. And they were absolutely beautiful. So wonderful hiking trails, amazing uh, natural lakes and great skiing in the winter. So depending on the season, we would definitely bring my husband and I would bring you here and there'd be lots to do. I really enjoy trains. And one of my things would be one day to do the train trip through the Rocky mountains there. I think that's one of the great train trips of the world. My husband and I have been wanting to do that. And we're like, it's on our bucket list. We want to do the exact same thing. I think it would be absolutely beautiful to do that. Yeah, we've in South Africa, we've got a very expensive train as well called the Blue Train, and very few people in South Africa actually get to travel it. <laughs> it's just too expensive. Um, <laughs> so, Jenna, thank you for that. Um, could you give us a brief overview of your background and the forming of Sinogap Solutions Leadership Consulting? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I've been in learning and development, I would say, my whole career. So, it's about two decades now I've been in the field of learning and development. And when I first started, I actually wanted to become a marriage family counselor. And that mm. was 
what I focused my master's degree in, but as part of my master's degree, because I wanted to do group therapy. Uh, and so I learned how to design and facilitate and evaluate programs, right, for groups of people. And I did that for a while and I was working mostly in nonprofits. And then I moved, as I mentioned earlier, I left a Quebec and I went to Alberta and I was continued working in nonprofit world. And, you know, it's, although it's very soul gratifying, it's, it's, uh, it's not very stable. And uh, your contract to contract, you don't know if you're going to have a job the next year. And so I was looking for more stability. And I found a job actually working in law enforcement, uh, municipal uh, law enforcement organization, wow. Calgary. They were looking for what they called then a curriculum designer. And I'm like, okay, it's a permanent position. They have good benefits. What does a curriculum designer do? And I read the job description it was basically what I was doing, but instead of a group therapeutic um, field, if you will, or focus, I should say, it was more of a corporate focus around training. So all of the skill sets that I had around how to design programs uh, is what they were seeking. And so I thought, oh, why not? And so I, I applied, I got the job. And then, and that was in 2007. And since then, I've really focused my career in learning and development in a corporate world. So at first I started really working around, uh, focused in training and development specific to technical mm -hmm. skills in law enforcement. And then eventually I expanded that to organizational learning and development. I wanted to get away from specific technical skills uh, to really looking at how organizations learn. And, mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't really surprising to me that I wanted to go that route. One of the reasons why I wanted to become a marriage family counselor and work with groups. It's because I wanted to impact the environment that individuals live and function within. I knew that if you only focus on an individual and give them the coping skills that they need to be successful, you know, that's one way to support individuals in achieving their full potential. But if the environment that they live and function and work within doesn't support that, um, it, it really is hard for somebody to, to be resilient and to mm. really Attain the skills that they've learned. And so when I started, you know, working really in the corporate context, I saw the same thing. A lot of the training that my learners were taking, ones that I had designed, they were, they were struggling to apply those skills to their everyday job. And I realized mm -hmm. it was because the organizational context, if you will, that they worked within didn't support the transfer of knowledge that they gained from training to the workplace. And that's why I decided to shift. I wanted to move away from just like uh, traditional training to organizational learning and development. And so for the last decade, a little over a decade, I've really focused my career, uh, professional academic career within looking at how organizations learn and grow. And, and so, Is that what so, you did your PhD on? Yeah, exactly. It was I really, I focused it on managerial learning and development, but really understanding how managers learn through everyday work, not just through formal training, but what we would call informal learning. And I, I decided to do uh, open my own business. So I was always working for somebody else, right? And then mm. always consulting a bit on the side. And then after I had my I got my PhD, I thought, you know, I, I, I want to do this full time, I, I just want to be able to help organizations, not only for the company that I work for, but in all industries, I wanted to expand my knowledge and my experience and, and work with a variety of companies in various industries. And so last year I decided to make the leap. And so I, I launched it part-time, if you will, while I was working. And then in February, 2020, I decided to launch my business full-time. Wow. That's fantastic. Uh, I've also started my business in February, which is great timing. Don't you think, Joanna, um, <laughs> to start a business then? 
<laughs> it's interesting because my right. wife, my wife is also, you know, she's involved in nonprofits and she, we also might need to make a transition from, you know, the nonprofit world uh, to, you know, a corporate world or another, uh, another area that she might move into. She's, so it's interesting to hear that you did the same thing. And yeah. um, so congratulations on writing your book. It's called Choose to Be a Leader Others Would Want to Follow, which I think is very pertinent for today. And um, could you tell us what the purpose of the book was, what, you know, why you wrote it, and a brief overview of it? Yes. So it's actually based on my PhD dissertation. Mm. So uh, after I, I, I finished my, my PhD, I got lots of positive feedback from my PhD supervisory committee. And these are the individuals that grill you for three and a half hours uh, as your final oral exam before you, <laughs> before they bless you with your degree. And one of the pieces of feedback they gave me is they said that my, my research was very relevant and meaningful and, and would transcend various industries. Uh, although my participants mainly came from a law enforcement uh, world, um, they said, you know, it applies to the education system, applies to all all any organization that has leaders. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to focus my PhD and then obviously subsequently my book was focused on that was because I myself, as a leader, as I was moving up the leadership ladder, if you will, I realized that, and, and being in learning and development, I realized there was no support for managers. You know, mm. I, like for my own experience, it was like, you're a great individual contributor. You're really great at what you do. You're awesome at designing programs, Joanna. Uh, we think you'd make a really good manager. And, you know, <laughs> so you go, th- you, you, you go through the comp- competitive process, you get the job. And then it's like, and, and one of my first experiences was, uh, yeah, you're going to be in a different building. You start on this day. And I would, I walked in and they're like, who are you? I'm like, mm. I, my first day, they're like, oh, we didn't know you were coming. Well, we don't really have an office for you, but I guess we'll give you this one space in the back. And there was no keyboard, only, only a uh, computer monitor. I, and I had, to, I had to deliver a, a forecasted budget by the end of the week. And I didn't even have a keyboard. I had, nobody knew I was coming. And, and then I had <laughs> direct reports and it was, it was crazy. And I remember thinking, Oh my, and I write about this story in the book, what my, mm. my first experiences were like, it was so overwhelming amount of stress and anxiety that I thought I was, I felt like I was set up to fail. And so I asked around to, to see, did other people have a similar experience? And they did. And I thought, this is wrong. There's too much writing on us. And I say in the book, like, I, I really do believe managers are the linchpin to an organization's success. And if you don't support us in, in giving us the skills and the confidence that we need to be successful, there's just too much writing on our shoulders. Um, uh, and mm. so I said, there, there's got to be a better way to support the way managers learn. It can't be this sink or swim experience. And so that's mm. why I decided to focus my PhD on. And then, as I mentioned, the, the feedback I got from the supervisory committee was so positive. I thought, I always wanted to write a book, Lance, and I thought, this is the book that I want to write. And I didn't even know what the title of the book was going to be. I, I kind of just started writing the book, and I wanted it to be short and sweet. My focus was for CEOs or managers themselves that don't necessarily have a lot of time to read a 200-page book, but kind of get to the gist of what I'm trying to say uh, mm. around how to support managerial development. So it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. And as I was writing the book, I was like, what do I call it? What do I call it? And my husband, you know, we started brainstorming and then, and then the title just came. I go, I thought it's a little long, but oh, what the hell? I like it. <laughs> and, and really, so the book is about how do we sell, how do we support 
managers in their learning, not necessarily through just formal training, which is important. And we need to have that. But then how do you support them in learning through their everyday work? How do they take what they learn in training and transfer that to the, 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 the field? And what is an organization's responsibility? Not just the individual responsibility in their own learning and development, but how can an organization support that continued learning and development? Mm. Yeah, the multinationals that I've been at, it definitely is, has been that experience that if you know, you're know you being appointed a manager and then it is sink and swim, so that it really is needed. And so I want to ask you a few questions about the book itself. Uh, you start off by saying that we've got to check our biases at the door. Um, and you're talking about biases. What do you mean by this? Is it biases towards how managers operate or how, what are the biases that you, that you describe in your book? Yeah, very good question. There's a couple of biases, I think. And the first one I think I write about, I, I really focus on in the book is, you know, how do we believe, you know, do we believe leaders are made or do we believe that they're born? Do we believe that there's this inherent quality that we're born with that predisposes us to be natural born leaders? Or can anybody really learn the traits and the competencies to lead others. And what I discovered, and I thought it was just fascinating, my, my, my participants that I interviewed, I would say hmm, probably 70 to 80% of them really believed that it's an inherent trait. You're mm. born with this predisp predisposition to lead. And I thought that was fascinating because when I asked them, so tell me, how did you learn to do your job? They talked about, uh, they all had a mentor who actually picked them saw something in them, like they said, oh, they saw, and that's why they thought they had this predisposition, predisposition to lead because their manager saw something, uh, their mentor saw something in them. So they would handpick them, but they would support them. They would give them feedback. They would tell them when they were doing well, they would give them feedback when they needed to improve and kind of, you know, um, do better. Um, and they, they learned through observation. So their mentors were natural, like role models for them, but they also learned what not to do. So they also had a lot of supervisors in their career that they didn't want to emulate. They didn't want a role model. So they learned what to do, what not to do. And, you know, they learned by getting feedback and, and they learned by taking risks. And I, and I thought to myself, well, that doesn't sound like a predisposition. It doesn't sound like you were born with that ability. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you learned it through reflection. You learned it through feedback and you learned it through observation. And I'm like, okay, so I think there's this, this bias that a lot of people have out there. And I think that's beginning to change. A lot of people are saying leaders are made, they're not born, but there is still a, a you know, I think a big group of people out there that really do believe that being a leader is something that you're naturally born with. And what I talk about in the book is there's consequences to thinking like that because in organizations and especially the one where my participants came from, many of the people that moved up in their career were handpicked and mentored to be groomed for those positions. And the mentors chose people that re reminded them most of themselves. So all of the men had met male mentors. And because it was a male-dominated industry like law enforcement, um, many of the women that I interviewed, their, their mentors were male and, and they had to seek them out. Uh, they didn't always get handpicked to be mentored. And so there was... Um, this bias, I think, even just inherent within that organization of who is meant to be a leader. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they were picking these individuals to move up and be groomed to move into these senior leadership positions. So I talk about that in the book. And I say it's, it's, we need to be cautious with our biases around leadership and, 
and how leaders are developed because we can actually close the door to a big population that can can really be developed into being amazing leaders. Mm, I absolutely agree with you. And I, you know, the more I read, the more I see that people even change their personalities over time, but the skills are learned. And those biases are in all sorts of things. Like an introvert can't be a salesperson, for example. You know, that's rubbish. A salesperson can be an introvert. Or an entrepreneur needs to be born an entrepreneur. In fact, I've attended a a call the other day that started off by saying, you know, the best entrepreneurs are born entrepreneurs. And then you think, oh, dear, that's not me. (laughs) And so I absolutely 100% agree with you that we can learn to be strong leaders. Um, But you, you said that there was a gap in how organizations are developing their managers and their leaders, and that it impacts on their performance, and that you know, they're the very important cog in organizations. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And maybe the next question is about, you know, how do you think organizations should train up their, their leaders so that they can be effective in their roles? Uh, yes, very good question. I think it starts, I think it starts right away. I think waiting, hmm. Okay, let me, I'll, I'll, let's start with succession planning, for example. I think we, I think all organizations need to have a good succession management process in place. And I think it starts there. And I love it when a lot of succession management programs or webinars that I watch and listen to, they say, you know, you have to identify what your, who, what your critical positions are. And I always thought critical positions. Mm. Are there some positions in the organization that are not critical? And if they're not critical, then why do you have them? You know, <laughs> are we saying that our... You know, if you're not in a formal leadership position, you're not a critical position. I understand why leadership positions are critical. As I mentioned, I think managers are the linchpin to an organization's success. But if we don't value the entry-level positions as important, then I think, you know, what ends up happening, what I've seen is organizations really focus on the upper management, like the upper hierarchy, if you will, and they focus on developing people at that point in their career. And I say, that's the gap. Let's look at everybody. Let's look at how we hire people, how we recruit people, and then how we how we support their development through their career from the entry-level position all the way up into senior leadership positions. Do we see a trajectory from, hey, welcome to the company? Do we have a strong onboarding process right from the start, even before people get hired, right? So, you know, what is our recruitment process? How do we enculturate people to our, our organization even before they get hired? And then how do we develop them throughout their full career? So if they do want to move into a formal leadership position, they're ready for it, which is where the succession planning comes. And mm. sometimes people will differentiate between onboarding and succession management. And I say sometimes I think the division needs to be a little bit more blurred and we should almost look at how to integrate those processes, recruitment, onboarding, and succession planning, and really see them as one fluid process from beginning to end. And so you don't look at them as separate processes. Like I, I see human resource departments really maybe focus on the succession planning, whereas they leave the um, work areas uh, responsible for the onboarding. And I think they, they there can't be that division. We need to seamlessly integrate them. And so um, when, when, when a person gets hired and recruited to the company, you know, what are their long-term aspirations? Mm. I, every, everybody on my team, I used to ask them, look, when, whenever I'd hire somebody and they would start the first week, I'd ask them, so where do you want to be in a couple of years from now? What are your career aspirations? Like, but I just started the job. <laughs> you want to get, 
And I'm like, I, I say, I, I believe this. The best way to engage you in your current position is to start to develop you for your next. If I invest in you and if I demonstrate to you that you are important to me, your success is important, and I want to develop you, not just for today, but for tomorrow, you're more likely to stay within this organization and not look for a job elsewhere. They say that a lot of people will make up their mind within the first month, or even I would say the first two weeks, whether they're going to stay with that company or not. And so I think we need to start having these conversations with people right when they start. Where do you want to be? We want you to stay in this company. There are a lot of places you can move into. Let's start figuring out where you want to go and let's develop you to get there. And I think if we can do that, we could start developing these leadership skills in individuals, even in an entry-level position, while they're still individual contributors. Because leadership isn't isn't just reserved for people who hold a formal title. Anybody can be a leader. Mm. And we have between informal leadership and formal leadership. The formal is the one that has the title and the informal could be an individual contributor. But, and I think we're going to go into that a little bit later, but the competencies that you need to be a leader transcend position. So what can we do to develop those competencies individuals right from the start before they take on that position so that when they do move into a formal leadership position, they don't experience what I experienced, which is, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to fail. I'm going to let my team down. I'm going to let my boss down. I'm going to let my organization down. Mm. That was wrong. That should never happen to anybody. Uh, and, and that's where I see the gap. And, and that's one way to fill it is by kind of aligning those three processes when it comes to recruitment, onboarding, succession planning, and supporting people right from the start all the way until, you know, if they want to go into a formal leadership position that we're, we're doing that and developing them all the way through their career. Mm. Uh, Jenna, this could be a huge question and it is. Uh, um, maybe we can focus on one aspect of it, but you've got a really fantastic table in your themes and categories section of your book with what managers learn, how managers uh, you know, learn in workplace factors that affect learning. And so you say leadership competency or self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management. Those are all really um, you know, relational self-analysis type of questions. Could you go through... Uh, one or two of those, maybe talk about how leaders and the competencies around, say, self-awareness or self-management and how you equip a leader to be more self-aware or manage themselves better. Yeah, oh, very good question. So, you know, when I was analyzing my data and I was kind of trying to pull out categories and theme them, I, I, I write about this in the book too. I felt like a hand I'm a qualitative researcher. So I collect people's stories mm. and then try to kind of see what the trends are in the data from, from the stories. And they all shared very similar, they shared, they shared through their stories that there were certain competencies that went into being a leader, which were the four categories you just listed. Mm. And what amazed me, which is like, you know, what surprised me, if you all, where I, I talk about how I felt like a hand reached out of the data and slapped me across the face because <laughs> I was oh my God, th those are the domains of emotional intelligence. Mm. That, that's what leadership is. And, and, and when I read all of the, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of literature on leadership, Kuz's and Posner's leadership, exemplary leadership practices to a lot of the stuff that John Carter writes about and, and Patrick Lencioni. And, and when I, and I, and, and even um, it's called building trust at the speed of light. Oh, the seven, highly effective uh, habits or uh, Stephen Covey. Yes. When I'm like, they're all saying 
basic, very similar things in a different way, but it all came back down to me, which was, were the four domains of emotional intelligence, which is like you said, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management. And when it comes to self-awareness, so that's, that's number one thing. Self-awareness is absolutely critical mm. because you need to know where you're strong, what you're really good at. You have to have the confidence to embrace that and leverage those strengths. Um, to, to get you through tough times, if you will. But you have mm. to also be very humble and know where you suck. <laughs> where you <laughs> got some room to grow because it, you, know, you have to be able to say, like, I, you know, there's room for growth here. You have to have a growth mindset as an individual. I think we, we need to have a growth mindset, but especially if you're going to move into a formal leadership position. Mm. You have to know you're not perfect and you have to be able to take accountability when you do make mistakes. And all of the participants in my research said that. And they said that one of the ways, so that's what I realized, in order to learn their two critical things. One is we need to be self-aware. So we need to make time. So we talk about how do you develop self-awareness? We have to make time to reflect. Self-reflection is key to that. And there are different ways to do that. You know, carving time out of your day, it, like literally scheduling it into your calendar to reflect on maybe something specific. It could be, how did my week go? Oh, we just, mm. did a, just launched a huge project or we just completed a huge project you know, where did I do well? Where have I improved? How did I best support my team? Like, so these are some ways that you can develop that self-awareness. Another way is to ask feedback. So as I mentioned, all of the participants in my study had a mentor, all of them. And sometimes they had more than one. So have somebody that you can go to, to get that feedback. And when I think it's what's critical too, and I built this into my online courses around developing emotional intelligence is a 360. A 360, and I'll say this, it's not anonymous Go to people, your direct reports, your peers, your bosses, your colleagues, right? Your peers and, mm. and family members and friends. Why not? And get feedback. Where do I do? You know, where am I good at? What am I good at? What am I not good at? You know, and, and ask certain questions to get feedback so you can develop some more self-awareness. We all have blind spots. We don't know what we don't know. And if we don't ask for feedback, we'll never know what we don't know in terms of our strengths or areas for growth. So feedback is critical and self-reflection. And, and, oh, there's one more thing I said too, but there's a third one, which is we learn with and through others. So getting feedback is one way to be learning through others, but lear learning through others through observation. And you can learn from anybody. So asking questions um, and not being afraid to go to your direct reports and saying, you know what, I'm not sure how to approach this. This is a strength that you have. Can, let, let's talk about this and how we're going to approach this project. <laughs> asking questions uh -huh. and asking for help is one way that we learn, right? So learning with and through others by getting feedback, asking questions, observing others. If that answers your question. It absolutely does. And there's so much more value in your book, Choose to Be a Leader, Others Would Want to Follow. I mean, I mean just scratching the surface, obviously, so people need to read the book. Um, Joanna, about your Sinogap Solution Leadership Consulting, could you give us a, an overview of what that does? So you mentioned courses that uh, are on the, the website and that you offer. Uh, can you give us an overview of what Sinogap does? Yes. So there, I actually I have three target audiences, uh, three groups of people that I love to work with. One are emerging leaders. So individual contributors who see themselves as, as being a formal leader and wanting to move into a formal leadership position uh, and, and needing some support in, figure, in, in developing the skills and the mindset to be a formal leader. And so I work with uh, 
what I call, as I mentioned, emerging leader. And mm -hmm. I offer courses, self-paced, on-demand online courses. And one is on developing emotional intelligence. So uh, I do have a 360 survey built in there to help in, uh, individual contributors develop more self-awareness and learn the four uh, categories of the four domains of emotional intelligence. And the other course that I offer to them is resiliency and agility, which is all about self-management, especially during these times, Lance, we need to be very resilient and very agile. We don't, we don't know what's going to happen in, in a month or so. So well, on the yeah. 3rd of November. <laughs> yeah, we don't exactly. <laughs> we don't yes. So we need, we need to be, we, we need to find the internal drive and motivation to keep us going and to sustain us. Mm. And, and there's people that are, are, are following us. So we have to be strong to be able to support them as well. And so I've designed a course to help individual contributors who want to be an emerging leader uh, develop more self-awareness around how to how to develop that resiliency and agility. And the second the second group of people I work with are, are formal leaders, so managers who have a team of people and and feel like they need a, more skills and more confidence to lead the team. But the solutions I provide to formal leaders is a team based approach. So I work with the formal leaders and their teams and giving them the skills that they need to be successful and effective diverse and cohesive teams. So we'll do things like really explore what employee engagement is, but not just what employee engagement is, but what does, what do you need as a team to be highly engaged and motivated? What do you need as a team to create an environment that's psycho psychologically and physically safe? And so we, we, we explore that and we do that mostly through workshops and, mm. and I also coaching too, individual and team coaching. And then the third group I work with are organizations, small to medium size. So an organization that is wanting to implement a full-blown engagement strategy, an employee, employee engagement strategy, or a full-blown leadership development or succession management process. I will work with organizations to uh, help them uncover and really explore what their current state is help them understand what they want their, what they see their ideal state is, and then partner with them and develop, um, go in and do a gap analysis and then co-create strategies that they can implement that will get them from their current state to the ideal state. And I call that the bridge. And my goal is to get them to a place and give them the skills that they need to sustain this over a long period of time so they don't need me or another consultant to do it. So I'm not there for the billing hours. I'm there to, I wanna work with them and I care about the company as much as they do. And that's one of the reasons why I started Cinegap Solutions because I was mm. so frustrated with consultants that we worked with that just were concerned about billing hours, not actually solving or helping us solve our problems. And I, mm. I, I take a very different approach with my clients. And that and that's come from your nonprofit. So you've like got a more caring sort of giving yeah. attitude, maybe. I'm not sure. And you know, those years in the nonprofit world helps, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've also got a podcast. So it's an interesting name. It's called Tackle Tuesday. Uh, uh, Tackle Tuesday. Uh, could you tell us briefly about what the podcast is, maybe why you started it and, and what benefits you're getting from it at the moment, if you can? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's called Tackle Tuesdays because uh, every two weeks I will release an episode on a Tuesday mm -hmm. where we tackle issues that organizations are dealing with today. And I wanted to start it for a couple of reasons. One was because I take a very different approach with my clients. Like I, I always say like, you know, systems and processes and having those in place 
as an organization is critical. Like if you don't have automated processes or, you know, like around recruitment and even production and productivity, like, I mean, these are critical things that are important, but sometimes we focus so much on the systems. We forget about the heart. We forget about our people. And so even like the book, the, the subtitle is how to lead with heart and purpose. And mm. that's my approach. I, I, I'm not there to do Lean Sigma 6 with you. I'm there to look at and uncover <laughs> how to engage the people within your company better through very targeted processes, right? Um, but I realized a lot of companies or organizational leaders don't necessarily get that. They don't understand the link between increased employee engagement and profits. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily see that. So Education, I think, is very powerful, and um, I possibly can't meet with each CEO in Alberta to, to, to relay this critical piece of information to them. So I thought a podcast would be one way to educate um, everyone around some of the things that I'm trying to do by mm. interviewing other people like, like me that are trying to do the same kind of work uh, and, and really focusing on emotional intelligence and leading with the heart and giving people a form to be able to talk about what they're passionate about, like I, like I am, and, and, and share that and spread that. So that was the second reason why I wanted to do it. There are so many amazing consultants out there doing great work. Mm. And like you said, like we both started our businesses right before the pandemic, and it's mm. been very hard. And um, there's a lot of business to go around. We don't need to hoard it. And so I wanted to give my fellow business consultants and entrepreneurs a platform to share what they're good at. And so our business community cannot just survive, but thrive through this time. Um, Because if I don't help the business community, then there's not going to be a job for me right in the future. So Mm. Wanted to educate. I wanted to support my fellow entrepreneurs, and I wanted to support the business community to get through this time. So, Jana, I've used too much of your time already, and I'm keeping you from your holiday. And so, so thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it, and it's been so fascinating and interesting to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking your time, and congratulations again on the book. Choose to be a leader; others would want to follow. Oh, thank you so much. This was actually my very first podcast. I'm usually the one doing the interviewing, asking the interview questions. This is the first time I'm a guest. So it's been a positive, wonderful experience. Thank you so much, Lance. Awesome. Thank you. So I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. I will have all Jana's details in the show notes so you can follow up with her, go to her website, listen to her podcast. And if you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.co.za and the website is www.ideastorm.co.za. So until next time, goodbye.